Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to episode number 305 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is January 27th, 2014. Got a really good show for you this week on the podcast. Tim Lavin, uh, he was a former USC walk-on fullback, uh, earned a scholarship. He's the founder of Walk On You. We're going to talk to him later in the show a lot about what's been going on in the world of walk-ons and the the unfair treatment they're getting from the NCAA. Uh, Really interesting stuff, especially with USC relying on walk-ons so much because of the scholarship sanctions. There's some really good stuff. Everything you wanted to know about walk-ons and more, we're going to have a little bit later on the show. we got Coach Harvey Hyde here in the first segment. We've got a bunch of questions to get to, too. So if you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address, or you can call 206 888 6755, leave a voicemail there or go to peristylepodcast.com and leave a voicemail right on the left side of the page. All right, let's jump into it with Coach Harvey Hyde. What's going on, Coach? How are you doing? Well, another week and another week closer to National Letter of Intent uh, on next Wednesday. I'll tell you, it's exciting. It's exciting this time of the year as far as uh, building the foundation for the future years uh, in your football program, no matter where you are. I used to love, love recruiting, Ryan. I loved going to homes. I loved meeting parents. I loved meeting kids. I loved the opportunity of uh, selling our university to a student athlete and having that dream come true. And and next Wednesday, man, it'll be crazy. We'll be talking about it all day, and you'll be getting releases out and talking about who committed, who decommitted, and who was the surprise recruit on this year's class. So I think that's where most of the talk is as far as currently right now in college football. Certainly is, Coach. I think we're nine days away from uh, from National Letter of Intent Day. So I want to talk to you about that. I actually want to talk to you about some walk-on stuff. We have some coaching questions to get to. But I wanted to uh, thank our sponsor first, Southern California Tickets. You can go to sctickets.com if you need tickets for anything uh, here in Southern California or across the country, 1-800-888-7287 is the phone number. Or, of course, sctickets.com is the place you want to go uh, to check out for tickets and stuff. And like I said, Coach, we do want to talk about – I want to ask you about some walk-on stuff because we got Tim Lavin coming on a little bit later on the show. Like I said, we want to talk about uh, some recruiting stories and stuff a little bit. Uh, but there were some team questions I wanted to get to first that we'll, we'll get out of the way. And uh, Melvin, we'll start off with him. He wanted to know, what do you think about Max Brown, who's the, the five-star, former five-star quarterback that redshirted last season for USC? Do you think he's going to be able to play in this new hurry-up offensive strategy offered by Steve Sarkeesian? Oh, I certainly do think he can play. He, he was a great player in high school, and uh, I think he'll adapt to it well. You have to adapt. You adapt or die with new systems. And, again, I think that the three uh, players that are there are quality players. Cody Kessler, of course, he's proven that. You've got uh, Brown, as you mentioned, an outstanding uh, recruit who redshirted this past year. He can certainly throw the ball well and move well enough. And I believe played in that type of uh, style of football in high school. And you got Max Wittick, 
I think the number one person that has to prove himself in the spring is Max Wittick as far as competing with Cody, who was a uh, starter, and Max, who's coming in. And also you've got Green that's in there, too. So I think that Max is an outstanding athlete, and I think this is do or die for him. I think this is the time he's got to go out there and prove himself, have a very positive attitude because he knows other quarterbacks have come in and compete. And I think it's going to be an exciting spring for all of the quarterbacks as far as adapting to the new offense and uh, being able to do what's necessary in that form of offense. I, I think it's it's simpler, basically, than it is a, that Lane Kiffin's offense. I think that Sarkeesian's offense is a lot more simpler, and uh, I think that these kids are intelligent kids, and I think they'll adapt to it well. Um, Mel, he had a follow-up, too, Coach, about the offensive and defensive philosophies. Do you think he wanted to know? Do you think it's going to look a lot different from last year as far as those philosophies goes? What USC, what USC fans will see on offense and defense for the Trojans? Well, I think if you just got a Washington tape, okay, a Washington tape of one of their games, I had a chance to watch Washington play against UCLA in the Rose Bowl last year, and I think you'll see the same exact uh, offense and defense. You won't see anything differently. Uh, you'll see a, a different type of style of play, uh, simpler more upbeat, uh, uh, short routes, uh, running game. I don't know. Uh, you know, he's been a type of guy to stick with one running back. I don't know how you're going to deal with the running back situation that currently SC has in returning backs, but I think I'd get him in the game. You've got to get these type of great players on the field. It doesn't do you any good to have great personnel off the field, so you've got to adapt to your personnel. I think any coach that doesn't adapt to their personnel is hurting themselves and hurting the team. You've got to do what you have as far as what your personnel can do. You just can't say, this is what I do as a coach, adapt to it or you won't play here. I think a good coach is called coaching, coaching up what you have and putting them in a position to win. On defense, uh, I'll, I'll have to watch and see what happens there. I sort of like Clancy Pettigrass's, uh scheme with the 50 defense. Uh, last year, there were things that went well. And there were some things that uh, at times didn't do uh, well. But I think uh, Will Cox is a young coach, an enthusiastic coach. He's, his stats certainly have proven that uh, at Washington that he's been able to slow down people. And uh, if he gets his players motivated, I think the number one thing is going to be motivating them to a level of competing that Ed Orgeron had in competing at. I think you have to have the emotion, the belief, and the team feeling of wanting to be successful and be able to do that. And I think that's a big thing, too, on the defensive side of the football that they're going to have to adapt to. Because a lot of the defensive players certainly love playing defense last year at USC. Now, on the offensive side of the football, I'm not quite sure just how good the morale was on the offensive side of the football. As the season went along, it got better. And when you watch the Las Vegas Bowl, it was great. In fact, USC played to their full potential of what everybody expected them to be as a football team against Fresno State. Now, as far as the defensive side of the ball, we'll have to see what happens there. You're not really sure. And I, you, the good point you mentioned about Coach Orgeron, they were fired up. But uh, I, you know, if you look at the defense from last year, and you have that five-man front that you mentioned, you're talking about some really big guys, uh, you know, playing on the outside. And I don't know if you're going to have that this year. So I think personnel-wise, I think there's been some changes where maybe you have guys that are, you know, 20, 30 pounds lighter 
rushing the outside. They're more, you know, they're more of a an outside linebacker than a defensive lineman. So personnel wise, I think last year, I, I think USC fit pretty well, uh, like with Devon Kennard and Morgan Breslin and guys like that standing up on the outside and rushing the passer. This year, you might have guys that don't weigh quite as much in those positions, and it might be better to have more of a, a, a three-man front, a three-four kind of scheme as opposed to that five-two. Yep, and uh, and I'll tell you, uh, guys have got to come through. Greg Townsend's got to become a football player. Not that he isn't a football player, but he's got to get a mean streak in him. I think he's got great personnel. Simmons, the redshirt kid from Texas Tech, he's got to perform. He's got to become a football player. It's time for him to step up and become a football player. Woods has got to step up and move up another level. It's time for him to become a football player. And uh, this uh, Pellin kid, uh, the J.C. transfer, I've seen him only on a tape that was more or less like a scrimmage. He's got the ability. He's quick. He's big. But I want to see him go against big and quick offensive linemen. So this spring, as far as for USC football is going to be so important because of the competition and getting your players in a position where they can adjust to and, and, and illustrate their skills. Now, I don't think that uh, Wilcox or Coach Sarkeesian are so stubborn that they're not going to change if they have to change to make sure they run fronts that, that are capable of their players executing. You're absolutely stupid if you don't do that. You've got to put your, position, your players in a position to win. And if they don't have uh, players that can run a certain front, then you change and you run fronts and coverages and do things that your team can execute. I think that was part of the things we talked about last spring. Early in the spring, we started talking about it. Nobody made any adjustments as far as the corners and playing man. I said from day one, don't have the corners to play man. You can't play man with what the corners they had there at that time. And they went in three or four games into the season, and finally they made those adjustments. Josh Shaw moved out to be a corner, and, and the safety started to get more play, and the other corner they, they went to Seymour, and Seymour developed as a young player, and now at the end of the season is a pretty good player. But you, you've got to find out where your weaknesses are, and you've got to correct them or get players in those positions, or you've got to change what you're doing. Otherwise, uh, you're going to find out after you lose two or three games that you're doing the wrong thing, and you don't want to do that, Ryan. Certainly not. And uh, I, I, you mentioned the part about competition in the spring, and I think there's going to be some spots that there's going to be some great competition there. The problem, though, Coach, is that you know there are still a bunch of injuries, and, and I know Steve Sarkeesian does not want to have guys lost for the season because of the spring. So I think he's gonna, there's going to be a tight balance there where he doesn't want to push guys too far. I don't think there's going to be as much you know, full-on tackling and things like that you're going to see in the spring. But there's also guys like you mentioned, like Delvon Simmons, that you know redshirted last year. You want to see what they can do. How is he going to have to to balance that? Because it will be difficult not getting guys injured, but also trying to find out what you have and which guys are good for which spots. Well, you know, you got to find out how competitive someone is, especially a transfer student. Uh, when you have a transfer student, you wonder why he left where he was. Uh, and, and it's time now. You know, you don't expect him to practice at the same level that he would be eligible at. So last year they didn't see the real player. I mean, he went through the moves. He didn't want to be out there, but he had to be out there. He's on scholarship. He's redshirting. But now it's time he steps up. But it's time that he's needed. It's time that he's been on scholarship a year. He's a year older, and it's time he plays. It's time he gets in there and plays. And he's got the potential of being a great player, but he's got to pick it up a notch now. He's got to get his intensity back. He's got to run to the football. He's got to 
act like he wants to play. He's got all the potential in the world. He's a great big kid, a great athlete, highly recruited out of high school. So it's time for him to step it up. They've got to bring the potential out of these players. Part of coaching is teaching someone as a teacher in first grade how to read and write. So it's finding what pushes that button for this individual to become a football player. It's the same thing. A football coach is a teacher. And you've got to find out how you motivate that player to step up and fill your needs. So, you know, it's going to be competitive, and you've got to hit. If you remember last spring, I thought it was the most physical spring that SC had had. In the fall camp, I thought it was the most physical one I've seen in a long time at USC, and I think it made him a better football team. I don't think they lost their games. The games they lost was because of the kids not ready to play or having physical practices. I think a lot of the games they lost was because of certain things that were done or asked kids to do that was impossible to do, and I don't want to get into that now. We've done that enough. (laughs) But, uh, you know, they still won 10 games. Uh, I think that they've got to replace kids as Marcus Martin. They've got to replace kids like, Uh, Bailey. They've got to replace some of these kids that came out early and went into the NFL because these guys are experienced players. All of a sudden, you've got to, uh, you know, Bailey was a captain. Uh, uh, Martin was a captain. I mean, these leadership type of roles, you've got to have new leaders emerge. Hayes Pollard is a captain. He's coming back. I think he's smart coming back. You've got to get Dawson back, and Dawson's got to pick it up and play at the level that is expected to play it, along with all these other kids. Powell, Powell's got great skills as far as the linebacker with great speed. You've got to get Scott Sharp in a position where he can now produce. These guys can't sit and watch any longer. They're recruited as four- and five-star players where you expect them to play at that level. And you've got to sit down and talk to them individually or whatever it takes to get them to play at the level that you recruited them to play at. So I don't think the cupboards are bare at USC. I think it's time to get them motivated to want to use their full potential to be able to win. Um, We were talking about the injuries a little bit, and we had a question from Andrew. I'll try to answer it, and you can chime in too, Coach. He said, uh, George Farmer mentioned on Twitter that he lost a step during recovery. He ended up having knee surgery, if you remember, last year. He said, do you guys think he meant permanently or just because he hasn't been training? And, you know, I've been following him on Twitter and – it looks like you know he's still it's sore for him to bend over and tie his shoes or put socks on and things like that. So I, I think he's still going through the recovery process. He's out there going to the workouts now. Uh, I don't think I mean I, I don't think he's indicating there's some kind of permanent problem, but it's part of the you know his rehab and recovery, trying to get back there out on the field. So um, interesting to see. I, I know you're on Twitter now, Coach at Coach Harvey Hyde. I'm not sure if you follow what's going on with George Farmer or maybe you have some thoughts on that. Well, you know, I think George Farmer as well as Stevie Mitchell and uh, uh, all these guys, you know, everybody gets hurt playing football. Part of it is how bad you want to play. Part of it is how bad do you want to rehab. Uh, You rehab once a day, twice a day, three times a day? Are you in the training room all the time doing what the trainers are telling you what to do? It's a good indication to find out how hard these guys are, who wants to get on the football field. George Farmer was having a great spring last spring. He was showing his potential. It's unfortunate he got hurt in some freak way. Stevie Mitchell, in the summer last summer, looked fantastic as a receiver out there and had some freak play. Wasn't even touched or hit, but tore his ligament. These kids have got to come back to their ability. Look how long they've been out. 
They've been out a long time now, especially Stevie Mitchell. These kids have got to come back, and they've got to step up, and they've got to remember that they're not the first and only guy that ever had a knee job. There's a lot of guys. Adrian Peterson, for example, came back and played and, and had a tremendous year. You can't, you can't uh, say, poor me. It's time that you step up. It's time you get on the field. It's time that you recover. Banner's got to recover. All of these kids, Townsend's got to recover. I mean, it's time. Uh, you can't just say now. The one I heard that's, it's that's was a more serious injury than what everybody anticipated is Walker, yeah, the Walker. offensive guard. Yeah. But Ryan, when you look at him, he's he's ex- he's experienced more. He's played. Uh, you know what his abilities are. Certainly you don't want to lose him in the spring or push him too hard. But he's going to be out there every day. I'd have him out there every single day. That's not an excuse not to be at practice. You could be at every single event. The only difference is you're not practicing. You're in every meeting. You're in every weight room. You don't think you can lift weights? You can lift weights. It's your bottom half of your body. You get your upper part of your body strong, and you do the exercises you can do. You become a part of that team so that when you're ready to come back, you don't have to make up what you lost. You just have to re- get yourself ready to go. So, you know, they had like 10, 11 kids, maybe more than that, on, uh, on you know, in the Red Cross uniform. <laughs> That's what I used to say. I used to put those guys in a Red Cross jersey. And they hated wearing those things, so they got back faster. So uh, these guys are expected to play. Nothing is crippling. Everything is rehabable. So get yourself ready to go. That's what the message should be. Uh, Coach, one more question I wanted to get to before we uh, kind of talk about recruiting and the walk-on stuff. Um, we're still getting a lot of questions about head coaches and Steve Sarkeesian and Coach Orgeron. Here's one from Coach G. And I, it's hard to just kind of let it go, but we still get questions every week. I've got voicemail questions that were too long. I can't, I can't really play them. But a two-minute question about James Franklin. Uh, going to Penn State, some crazy stuff. But I'll read you this one from Coach G, and we can kind of maybe put this to bed. But uh, sitting here thinking about next year's season, I have lost my passion after Coach O was not given the head coaching job. The job he and his staff did really inspired me. Coach Sark should win the conference if he's as good as they think. But honestly, I believe Coach O would have gotten them to a four-team playoff. Give Coach Harvey Hyde my regards. I'm just not feeling it. That's from Coach G. Well, Coach G, uh, I, I think we've been through that, <laughs> and I think it's time to move on. I think Coach uh, O is a uh, was it, it did a great job. We're not going to second guess that. Uh, I think he's going to take a year off personally, sort of regroup, decide what he wants to do. He had an opportunity, I believe, I have not spoken to him, to come back and coach at USC, and he decided not to. Uh, I think that uh, I think you heard me say it on ESPN after they beat Stanford that I thought they should name him as a head football coach. It didn't happen. There were other plans. He didn't get the job. But the program is here. And I used to say, and I've told all my football teams this, and I tell myself this and the players on my football team, there's no one single individual that's bigger than the program. Now, he's big, but there's no single individual that's bigger than the program. So they all understood that there's sort, sort, sort of rules and regulations you have. We've more or less mourned that period of time. That's over with. Now all our energy should be spent towards the 2014 season. 
And uh, that's where my energies are going now. I will certainly look forward to talking to Coach O when it's time. And I have not lost any respect for him in whatsoever and what he accomplished. And uh, I hold him as a, as a dear friend. So, but you've got to move forward. If you dwell on the negative too long, everything becomes negative. You've got to turn a negative to a positive, and you've got to move forward. And you've got to get the players looking at you in the eye and believing in who you are, that you care about them, and now it's time to carry on our mission. And I think uh, you use that same illustration as you do in war and battle. You lose a lot of your friends that are, that are gone, but that doesn't mean you don't stop fighting. And uh, I think this is what has to happen at USC. And uh, I think that uh, it's time to move on. You know, Coach, I think, I mean, we, we still get a lot of questions about it. And we try to, you know, it, we try to honor all the questions and stuff. But it still comes up. And there's people that are just say, hey, move on. Sark's the, the head coach. We love it. Or there's people that are like, they should have never have hired him. You could have got this guy or this guy or this guy. It just, it kind of keeps going on. But nine days from now, if USC is able to finish the recruiting cycle strong and, and get the 19 guys they were after and maybe, you know, some of the big names that are still on the board, like the Damian Mamas and Juju Smith and Adore Jackson, a couple of five-star guys and um, guys you can finish strong with. Do you think that would maybe, you know, put some things to rest and people would feel better? Like, oh, okay, you know, people talk about Sark being a good recruiter. He finished strong. He got exactly what he needed to get out of this recruiting class. And then, that's the final one. This is the final Wednesday is the last time you're going to have to talk about taking less than 25 guys uh, on scholarship. Is something like that you think would, would help? Yes. I think it's going to be a relief to everyone. First of all, that the sanction ends, that the uh, scholarship uh, discussion ends. Uh, it's been used against USC and recruiting and uh, the numbers and blah, blah, blah. It's over with time to bring in a great class, finish strong, which I think USC is going to finish strong. I don't want to say who I think is going to commit and sign, but I think that, uh, you know, Steve Sarkeesian has been dealt a hand of a lot of verbal commits that he said he's going to hold, and he's basically done that. And it's a very difficult thing to do, recruit a kid that you may think can't play for you or help you. That's very difficult. I've gone into positions like that before and uh, changed it. He didn't do that. I felt that I had an obligation to the program at times when I went in and they had verbally committed somebody, and I, and I just said, basically, this kid can't play at our level, and uh, we're doing ourselves a favor, plus we're helping the kid. Because the kid doesn't want to come to a school where he can't contribute or play. He's going to be unhappy. And then he's going to leave us, and then we're going to lose a number as far as replacing him in our scholarship number. So I think it's best to be honest with kids right up front. If a kid can't play, you got to call him in and say, of our standards, you're recruited by another staff. We want to inform you so you have a lot of time that, uh, you know, even if we help you as far as recommending you, we're going a different direction. And But he hasn't done that. He's playing his hand out, and I think that's admirable. Uh, but I think he'll finish strong. He's got limited numbers. He's got his kids in school as far as midterm. Those kids will be able to participate, and then it's time to move on. It's time to move on. Uh, Sarkeesian has always been a great recruiter, but I want to see that, and I've started to see that now with the 2015 class with this town kid, the quarterback at St. Bonaventure, who's 
decommitted from Alabama and now verbally committed to USC. I think that's a tremendous start for the 2015 recruiting season. And uh, I want to see now him recruit not the caliber of athletes that you recruit at Washington, but the time, not that Washington doesn't have great athletes, because they certainly beat people. But it's time to get back, and if you're going to play for a national championship, you go back to the level of recruiting that where kids come to win a national championship. They don't come to play, but to come and compete. They don't run from competition. They run to competition. And I think this is what now he has to breed into his players, his team, and his staff. Don't bring me players that I can't beat Alabama with. Don't bring me players that I can't beat Ohio State with. Bring me players that I can evaluate and recruit that we can play with the best. And I think this is what now the level of USC football has to be, or you'll never get there. You've got to believe to do it. And we'll see on Wednesday what the what, how the Trojans finish. It looks like it's going to be a strong finish, but we'll see, Coach. Uh, this should be an interesting run here. And after that, 25 scholarships from here on out. So you don't have to worry about that 15 and you know one more season under uh, – you know, with 75 scholarships. So just about done. The light at the end of the tunnel as far as USC uh, scholarship sanctions go. So that's good news. And, one, you know, because of those sanctions, and that's why we're having our next guest on, uh, Tim Mad Dog Lavin, who's the former walk-on at USC fullback and uh, played with guys like Junior Seau and Mark Carrier and Scott Ross, guys like that, um, is kind of spearheading a, you know, a revolution, I guess you could say, against the NCAA, which is everyone's favorite uh enemy, everyone's favorite villain, the NCAA, um, about the treatment of walk-ons. And I, I don't know if USC fans knew as much about walk-ons before. They knew that a guy like Clay Matthews was a walk-on. But now, you saw this last season with uh, Chris Wilson starting at tight end for USC. It was a, you know, a walk-on. Or uh, Nathan Gertler coming in and playing a lot at, at tight end or, or you know, an extra tackle in there. Um, got walk-ons coming in and making a contribution because of the lack of scholarships and the, and the fewer scholarships and guys getting injured at key positions. Um, and so we're going to talk to, to Tim about that and the, the plight of the walk-on and everything that kind of goes, what they have to go through and how they're treated differently by the NCAA. But I wanted to kind of get your thoughts on how walk-ons maybe at UNLV or any other places that, that you coach, how they contributed and how they were treated as far as members of the team and, and things like that, just from your experience and, and walk-ons there. Well, first of all, we just didn't let anybody just walk on. Somebody had to have uh, a reason to be on the football field. We were limited to the number of players we could take to camp by the NCAA rules. and I didn't want anybody on the field just because he wanted to be a walk-on. I wanted him on there because he could benefit the team in some place, whether it be scout team or special teams or whatever. And we, we got some tremendous players to walk on. Uh, a lot of the scholarship uh they were scholarship later on, just like Clay Matthews. A lot of them are currently in the NFL. In fact, Mike McCoy, the head football coach at San Diego or with the Chargers, was a walk-on quarterback at Long Beach State when I was there with George Allen. He went on and played at Utah and uh, became a, a position coach in the, in the NFL. And I don't want to get into his story, but he was a walk-on athlete. Now, walk-on athletes have to understand, too, when you're a walk-on, you're not a scholarship player. You've decided to walk on. You've been some in some in sometimes recruited to be a walk-on to come on, and you know what the rules and regulations are for walk-on players, as far as being able to eat on training table. I don't know if they've changed that, but when 
They have not, no. They're not allowed to eat it. That's a big point of contention for Tim Lavin. They have not. They're not allowed to eat a trading table. That's right. That's the same way it was when I was there. But you explained this all to them before. So it isn't like they come on without understanding what a walk-on is. They're treated fairly. They could use our academic advisors. They could do, uh, they could travel, but they couldn't do certain things. And I'm not saying it was right, but it was put in there as far as for the budgets of universities. Otherwise, if you remember, there were some schools when they didn't have a party uh, or a rule for uh, walk-ons, like you take Nebraska University, they would have 100 walk-ons a year. <laughs> they did, and they would have all the beef and all the food donated, and a lot of those walk-ons became players. So they it all started, I think, with Nebraska and Tom Osborne and what they were doing there with the number of walk-ons they had, because they really weren't walk-ons. Uh, you know, they had these kids coming from all the small cities, in uh, Nebraska, and the uh, Rotary Club or the Optimus Club would give this player a scholarship, and they'd pay his way to go to school. And when he got there, they'd feed him. So uh, I think in a way, uh, yes, walk-ons, if you're part of the team, you should benefit from what the team does. But a lot of it's because of budgetary problems. Now, right now in the Pac-12 and other Big Ten uh, conferences, they don't have budgetary problems. So maybe they should change this. But the smaller schools have more votes than the bigger schools. So they control the voting. So they can't afford to pay all the walk-ons as far as meals and tuitions and whatever they need to have. So uh, I think it's more of a money crunch than it is that they feel bad about not feeding the kids. So walk-ons, I think, contributed. I had walk-on kickers. I had walk-on snappers. I had walk-ons. I tried to get walk-ons in a lot of areas that they would be happy, they were local, and uh, yes, I, I believe it would be nice to be able to give them everything everybody else had, but then they'd be a scholarship athlete. So you have to have your rules and regulations and follow them. And I remember the schools that don't have a lot of money are the schools that have more, more votes than the schools that have the money to do that. But you can ask Tim, them, Tim, Tim this question. They always found a way to eat, okay? <laughs> they never went hungry, okay? They always found a way to eat. And I'm not saying we broke broke rules and regulations, but my guys, when they would eat a training table, always had an order to go. They would always have a plate that they took home. And our kids found a way to feed our walk-on players. So uh, if there's a will, there's a way within the structure of the rules. And uh, I think it's, uh, I'd like to, you know, I understand what he's saying as far as them being treated in, in a lot of situations, pounded on because they're the opponent team, they're the tackling dummy, they're everything else. They're the Rudy of Notre Dame. And in some cases, a great player survives from it. And uh, it is the survival of the fittest when you're walk-on. But a lot of kids just love the game and want to be a part of it. All right, Coach, great stuff. And uh, we'll get the, we'll get a lot more walk-on detail with uh... – with Tim Lavin, he's got some some definite points about the NCAA and what they're doing and how they're fighting through it. He wrote a book, and there's all kinds of cool stuff with that. So we'll talk with Tim here up in a second. But thanks again, Coach, for coming on and uh, sharing your thoughts. And thank you very much. And uh, tell Tim hello. I've, I've had a chance to hear him speak, speak before at the Passing a Quarterback Club, and uh, he has a lot of valid points. And uh, I'd like to see all these kids being treated, treated equal. 
you know? Sounds good. All right. Well, we'll talk to him in a second. Everyone else back in 30 seconds with uh, Tim Lavin of Walk On You. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287. 1-800-888-7287. That's 1-800-888-7287. Or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. Got a very special guest this week on the podcast. Tim Mad Dog Lavin is joining us hey, on hey. the show. What's up, Tim? How you doing? I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for having me. No problem, Tim. And uh, just so if people don't know, uh, Tim was a former USC football player. He was a walk-on, ended up earning a scholarship after uh, playing for a couple years out of uh, Chaminade High in West Hills. And actually, we were, he played with Junior Sale and Mark Carrier. And I think we were in school together, Tim. We were, we were there about the same time. That's right. I was there uh, 88 to 91 were my four playing years and graduated in the uh, spring of 92. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was there from 89 to 93, and then I did, like, master's after that. But, yeah, so we were, we were overlapping a little bit there at school there. But you, you right. started off, you, 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 I think you – you had some records or something that showed on high as far as rushing the football, or you led the league or something like that, but then you never end up yeah. getting a scholarship. Yeah, I was kind of uh, odd, and of course I was pretty bummed out because my dream since age of seven was to earn a scholarship at a major Division One school. And, um, you know, I mean, football was my lifeblood. I played seven years of Pop Warner football um, and then four years of high school. And uh, fortunately, we had a great team. Uh, my senior year at Chaminade, and, and I was CIF Player of the Year, and second in rushing and scoring uh, in Southern California behind Russell White. Oh, and, uh, you know, if you're going to be in second place, I mean, he's not a bad athlete to be in second <laughs> place behind. Um, but, you know, I, I, you know, my own admission, I probably did not have blazing speed as a tailback, and that probably hurt uh, me getting recruited as a tailback. I think if anybody thought of me as a fullback, they probably thought I was too skinny because in high school I was, I think I was 190 pounds. Uh, so I was probably considered too small to play fullback and too slow <laughs> to play tailback. And that's probably why uh, I didn't get any uh, scholarship offers at the Division One level. But then you ended up getting, I don't know how this worked out, but you ended up walking on at USC. Is there, I know there's recruiting rules where they can't do certain, you can't take official visits and things like that. But how was that recruiting process? How did that work that you ended up at USC? Yeah, I didn't, uh, I didn't really have any official visits there. Um, one coach did contact me, uh, Coach Ray Dorr. He was our quarterback coach. And uh, he said, hey, you know, someone passed your tapes on to me, and I think you're a tremendous athlete, and we'd love to have you come here. Unfortunately, we don't have any more scholarships available, but we'd love to have you walk on. And if you want to get all your transcripts over to me, uh, let me see what I can do. And, and that's exactly what I did. And fortunately, they were able to get me into the school and, and be brought in as a uh, recruited walk-on. Okay. Uh, preferred, they call it, I think, preferred walk-on. Uh, preferred. A lot of the- Correct. Sorry. Well, you don't have to try. That's basically walk-on. you don't have to try out for the team, right? 
No, you don't. And being a preferred walk-on allows you to be brought in uh, to two days at the beginning of August when the team starts practicing uh, at the beginning of the year. Um, if you're not a recruited walk-on, then you cannot start practicing uh, and or try out for the team until school starts in the first week of September. So that's the benefit of being a um, recruited or preferred walk-on. And it's, this is all great stuff, too, because obviously USC fans have been figuring out what's going on with these walk-on rules and all the scholarships. So this is, is great background. So I wanted to kind of tell your story first, and then we'll kind of talk about you know, the book and, and, and walk on you and all that and, and get into it. But I think this, this background is interesting for USC fans just because I think they know a lot more about walk-ons now because of the scholarship sanctions than they ever would have before. Yeah. And, you know, for a school like USC or Stanford or a school that has a pretty high tuition, it's kind of tough, you know, to get <laughs> preferred walk-ons because essentially you're you're looking for people who have the capability financially to to pay the tuition. Because um, even if even though you're a uh, preferred walk-on, you still have to pay all the bills. And so, um, you know, if you're if 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 you are fortunate to have parents uh, or family members who can help uh, support uh, you financially through school. You know that's uh, that that's going to help you, of course, get into the more expensive schools like SC and Stanford. Um, it's easier for other schools, public schools, um, schools like UCLA, who have a much uh, sh- smaller tuition, and they can really go after a lot more uh, walk-ons because their tuition is a lot less. And so it's it's really tough for a school like SC and all the other expensive schools. Um, well, as far as your, you know, we'll finish off with your story. Uh, it wasn't long before you ended up earning a scholarship at USC. So you did not, you went from the walk-on status to the the scholarship player status. Yeah, I, um, you know, I, when I walked on, uh, I, I I felt because of the success I had in high school that I would just stroll right in there at SC and and uh, move up the uh, depth chart ladder really quick and, and earn a scholarship. You know, after my first year. And, uh, and I realized that when I got there, there was a lot of blue chip athletes out there. Um, and, you know, certainly it was a lot tougher than I thought it would be. Uh, I realized how unprepared I was because, of course, being on scout team, you're going against the number one defense or number two defense in the country, which SD was in 88 and 89. So here I was going against Junior Seau and Mark Carrier and Tim Ryan and Scott Ross and, uh, Chris Hale, I mean, all these guys who want, went on to have long, prolific NFL careers. And, of course, I didn't know it at the time how great these guys were, but they were all all Americans. And so I realized, okay, at 190 pounds as a, as a scout team fullback, I need to live in the weight room. Uh, and much like, um, you know, Clay Matthews did, I just I literally lived in the weight room. If I wasn't studying – I was living in the weight room. I really didn't have much of a social life uh, my freshman and sophomore years because, uh, you know, I, I just I, I didn't see that that was going to help me get a scholarship going to the, all the fraternity parties. <laughs> so I literally was uh, was lifting whenever I could. So now, two. So after two seasons, you were you played as you know as a walk on and then ended up earning a scholarship. I know the rules now are, and it's is this a big deal because. If if uh, a walk-on player is in the program for two years and he 
becomes a scholarship player, it doesn't count as an initial scholarship, which is one of those normally 25 that you can give out every year. For USC, it's 15 uh, you know, for, until this, this right. last recruiting class goes through. Was that the rule back then, so it was easier to give you a scholarship after two years as opposed to maybe one? That's a great question, and I never um, – uh, I don't know the answer to that. And, and part of the reason was um, – there was something crazy going on uh, back then. I remember when I um, got my scholarship, I was so one of the coaches told me, "Oh, you, you, we can't play you right now because you're counted." And then some other coach said, "No, you're not counted, and we can play you." And I didn't know what was going on. I didn't understand the counting versus not counting rule. And I basically just kept my mouth shut and kept running out there and, <laughs> and going to work every day. And next thing I know, I, I was put on all the special teams. But at the beginning of the year, um, at the beginning of my third year, um, my redshirt sophomore year, I was now on scholarship, but I did not play in any games the first couple games. And I think there was, there was something going on with whether or not I counted or not. And, and again, I didn't understand the rules back then. Um, but, you know, by the third game, I was put on every single special team. So whatever it was, they worked it out internally. I kept my mouth shut, put, put on my helmet and went out to work. Okay. Um, yeah. And I, th- I think there's, a, there's a lot of confusion there because there's a, there's a lot of different rules and you can talk to, you know, there's more compliance people now, obviously at USC than it was back then. They could probably help you out a little bit more now, but certainly yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of rules there and like being a counter and not a counter. If you play, you're going to count and um, you know, it depends on people graduating or all this crazy stuff that's going on. And it's not as, as major of a deal normally. I think it's, it's a big deal, but for USC specifically now with only 75 scholarships and 15 initials, which is really the, the killer there, it's a, right. it's a really big deal. We've seen you know, it hurt recruiting with Kylie Fitz last year. They didn't have, they thought they'd get more guys graduating early so they could bring in more early enrollees. That didn't happen. And you had to leave people behind. It's, it's, it's really you know, wreak havoc, I guess, on this USC recruiting effort. Most, most definitely, and I think it's it's wreaked havoc on everyone or every institution that has suffered a setback due to uh, scholarship reductions. Penn State, they had to learn the rules really quick. You know, um, Florida, Ohio State, USC, um, everybody suffered this big, you know, scholarship reduction. And they kind of all had to realize, okay, we need to understand the walk-on rules like inside and out more than ever before. Uh, of course, they, you know, every school got flooded with compliance officers to make sure that they're doing everything on the up and up. And coaches, I think really for the first time in a lot of schools, uh, excluding Wisconsin and Nebraska because they're like walk-on programs are phenomenal, um, these schools had to realize, wow, we're going to be really relying on a lot of these walk-ons, not only to be great scouting players, but also to step up and play on Saturday. And I think, obviously, we saw a lot of that at USC, uh, specifically when Coach O took over. You saw an influx of walk-ons starting to play and travel and make a difference on Saturday. Certainly, and, and, and you were one of those guys that made a difference. I think you experienced it firsthand, and you know, I think overall you had a, a good experience or a great experience yeah. you know, being a USC football player. But, you know, 20-something years later, or, or I guess it wasn't that long, but, um, you know, it's been 20, 20, you know, over 20 years. I don't want to date either of us, but <laughs> since, the, <laughs> since the college days. But now, you, you know, you've, you've written a book, you know, Walk on You, the, the Shocking Truth Behind Football's 
Unsung Underdogs, and you have a Twitter account. You know, Walk On You. It's at Walk On You if you if you want to follow them on Twitter, and then WalkOnYou.com, Walk-OnYou.com. So I, I, you've created this environment. You know, trying to make people aware of of the plight of these you know walk-ons, and maybe you can kind of give us some background of how, how you started this and and why you did. Yeah, I mean, uh, no, it's 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 absolutely. I had an awesome experience uh, at USC because. Um, and this is sometimes hard for people to understand because they think, oh, you know, you must be upset or bitter or whatever. And I think the beauty of looking back at what you accomplished when you're when the odds were so stacked against you, um, but to to overcome that and earn a scholarship and play on Saturday and get a lot of playing on t- on Saturday, not just on special teams but in the backfield, you know, I'm certainly very proud. Uh, uh, of my accomplishments and the opportunities I did get at USC. Um, I look back and I realize that still to this day, 25 years later, there are still NCAA rules that are absolutely crushing walk-ons financially, nutritionally, mentally, emotionally. Um, the first one is training table. Um, you know, walk-ons have to pay for everything, and we understand that. they got to pay for their tuition, room and board, food. We understand that. But what I don't understand is why the NCAA forces walk-ons to pay for the training table meal, which is the all-important nutritional meal given to athletes after practice. And every single coach and strength coach and nutritionist will tell you that that meal, is just as vitally important as working out in the weight room or going out to practice for three hours. They go hand in hand. So essentially what the NCAA is is saying is we don't mind if you work out and tear your body down, but we don't want to help build your body back up by having a nutritious meal and learning the values, uh, the valuable uh, nutritional things that you should put in your body. So that is what I'm fighting against uh, here 25 years later to overcome uh, that NCAA rule because it's, it's outdated, it's unjust, it's absolute segregation, and totally unfair to put yet another burden uh, on, on walk-ons, and it needs to be overturned. Now, the training table aspect, this is this something comes up, too, even with the regular scholarship players that we see it on our message boards a lot. People say, oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. USC's training table is not as good as this one or whatever. But for walk-ons not even be able to, to, to come to the table at all, it's not – I mean, I could see if you were it was something where you opened up training table and it meant that every student in the, the – you know, the student body would be able to come. But there's a limited number of walk-ons. I mean, there might be, you know, 85 players on scholarship on a normal situation, but there's a limit – uh, you know, there's usually 20 or 30 walk-ons on the team. It's not like you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people. What right. What is the what is the you know the disadvantage of letting those 20 guys or 25 guys come and eat with the rest of the players that they're working out with? Right. Uh, well, in a uh, to, to normal rational thinking player, there is no disadvantage um, uh, to to allow walk-ons to eat. In fact, it's a total advantage to allow the walk-ons to eat. Uh, both nutritionally and emotional. I mean, if you don't think that psychologically that doesn't affect a walk-on when he goes, you know, works out in the weight room for an hour, then he goes into meetings with all of his brothers for another hour, then he goes on the practice field for a couple hours, and then you finish the day and you depart to go have a nutritional meal, 
and scholarship guys get to go in that door and walk on guys if their you know funds are not allowing them to pay for the meal have to go to a vending machine or have to go to you know the dollar menu at a fast food joint. That's not helping them, and it absolutely demoralizes a guy when he's trying so hard to to become a somebody. You know, this NCAA rule keeps pushing them down, saying, no, you're just a nobody. And so the, the, the thought process is, well, why would the NCAA have this rule in, in the first place? And their reasoning is they believe that um, the training table is an added benefit, an extra benefit, not uh, a necessity, but a benefit. And I'm trying to argue that, no, 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 training table is a necessity and it shouldn't be, you know, for scholarship guys only. It should be for all athletes, male and female. I don't care what sport it is. If it's golf, ping pong, football, hockey, basketball, if the institution is having, uh, is, is, has training tables for those athletes after practice, then every single person on that team should go and have training table as well. There's just no excuse to segregate a portion of your team because uh, they're not having their tuition paid for. It just doesn't make any sense. It certainly does not, Tib. And I mean, that's, that's something. Hopefully you can keep banging on the NCAA for that because that's terrible. And I know there was a couple other hot topic, I mean, hot button topics like the medical benefits and transfer regulations. Maybe you can kind of explain those too. Yeah, the medical, um, the NCAA actually does open up the door a crack uh, in their book by saying an institution may provide medical uh, insurance for the athletes. The problem is it should say should or must provide medical benefits. As we know, football and basketball are the two revenue-producing sports at every institution in the country no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Therefore, those two sports are treated as a business, a bottom-line business. How much revenue can we bring in? If institutions had to pay the insurance for their walk-ons, which would be probably an extra $1,000 a year, that's what they're charging the walk-ons right now, by the way. Walk-ons have to pay an additional $1,000 to be under the insurance, and this is nationwide. This isn't a USC thing. This isn't any school thing. This is the NC. All these institutions, they have the, their big insurance programs, their carriers, and these walk-ons are, are uh, burdened with yet another expense, yet they are going out on the practice field under the tutelage of these coaches, being told what to do by these coaches, going through these drills, get up, do it again, get up, do it again, I mean, these guys are just beating their bodies down, specifically in football, but yet if they get hurt, it's, it's on your parents' insurance? It doesn't make any sense. My, my uh, two cents is this. If you're trying out for the team, yeah, you should have your own insurance, of course. But once that institution says, you are good enough to be out here and help our team, you're now a member of the team, and if you're good enough to be in the team picture in uniform – then you're good enough to have your insurance covered by that institution. Yes, every institution has the money to do it, but they all claim that they don't. I think only 20 out of several hundred universities claimed that they made a profit. The reason why they're showing a loss on paper, of course, is all their coaches are making six-figure salaries. Um, 
All their assistant coaches are making very, very, very high salaries these days. Oh, I'm sorry, seven-figure salaries yes. for the head coaches, <laughs> high six figures for the, for the assistant coaches. You know, if any one of these groups of coaches, you know, took 0.001% off of their salary, they got the money to cover the, the walk-on's tuition. <laughs> uh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, the walk-on's medical benefits and their training table. If I'm going out and, you know, getting beaten down, you're telling me I can't go have a spaghetti dinner with some salad and, and some vegetables on the side for 8 or $10 from the school can't afford that? Of course they can afford that. Every institution is in the middle of an arms race to see who can build the biggest, best athletic facility. Every single institution is building monster facilities in the multi-million and some billion dollars. We don't have enough money to pay for a training table or insurance for walk-ons. Of course we do. You just have to want to do it. So that's the other, that's issue number two I have. The NCAA should make it mandatory that if a school takes on a student athlete and says, yep, you're good enough to be on our team, well, he or she is good enough to be on your team, then the institution should be responsible uh, for their insurance and cover their training table. The, the money is there. Not only for the institutions do they have it, but the NCAA just signed a $11.4 billion, with a B, <laughs> dollar television contract with Time Warner over the next 10 years. That's over a billion dollars a year, and they distribute 94% of that revenue back to the schools. So over the course of the next 10 years, the schools, the institutions at the Division One level are going to get an influx of cash. They have the money to do it. They just need to do it. And, you know, perhaps I'm the, I'm the one standing up beating the drum and, and the support is following me. Now, what about the, the third one is the, the transfer rule. So maybe kind of explain what that is, too. Transfer rule is if a athlete, a student athlete, wants to transfer from one school to another school, typically – they have to sit out one year, lose a, lose a year of eligibility. Um, now, of course, there's extenuating circumstances where if a school was imposed with sanctions, such as USC, they allowed those student-athletes to depart and play and become uh, immediately eligible. But your general rule is if you want to transfer, you have to sit out a year. My question is, why on earth would you, if you're not paying walk-ons a tuition, if you're not paying walk-ons to play at your university, and they're covering all the costs. And on top of that, the NCAA does not care what the grade point average is of the walk-ons. They only want the APR, the Academic Progress Report of Scholarship Players. Why? Well, uh, they only want to know what scholarship players are doing to make sure they're doing great in the classroom. But if they don't care about walk-ons doing great in the classroom, why on earth? Would you handcuff them if they wanted to transfer? Why would they have to sit out a year? The chances the walk-on wants to transfer is probably because he sees no opportunity whatsoever to play at this university because maybe he's a quarterback and, and that university has eight quarterbacks. I mean, you know, five scholarship guys, all, you know, senior, junior, sophomore, freshman, redshirt freshman, and this walk-on is never going to see an opportunity to play, but he thinks he's a darn good athlete, and he doesn't want to spend five years on scouting. Why can't he transfer? There's no investment in this guy whatsoever. Why can't he transfer and be eligible right away? 
it, it, again, it doesn't make any sense to handcuff a walk-on and treat him like a scholarship guy when you don't treat him like a scholarship guy in any other rule. <laughs> I mean, you're making way too much sense, Tim. And you know, I hate <laughs> making too much sense. Doesn't I mean it? It drives me bonkers. And the beauty is, this isn't just Tim Lavin spewing a bunch of this stuff that makes sense. And you know, the support is. Uh, people on the radio or or, or 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 television interviews that I've done. This is the exact same thing that Lou Holtz talks about. Do, do people have respect for Lou Holtz? Of course they do. He is behind me 100%. I interviewed him personally and threw all these exact same things on the table. He was behind me 100% and is supporting me going out, and he's going to be there when we're challenging the NCAA. Tom Osborne of Nebraska. Pete Carroll, of course, at USC. Terry Donahue, UCLA. I interviewed current coach Dabo Sweeney, who was a walk-on himself at Alabama. Now, of course, he's the coach at Clemson. 100% behind me. He has no clue why these uh, rules exist and why some overturned. Uh, Norm Chow at Hawaii. Cannot understand why walk-ons cannot be at training table. He's behind me 100%. Kevin Sumlin was a walk-on. Now he's the head coach at Texas A&M. He's behind me 100%. I haven't found one coach to say, no, I like the rules the way they are, and they should stay that way. Not one coach has said that, and I've interviewed you know, scores of them. Uh, they're all in the book. They all say the same thing. And uh, you know, all of us getting together and, and going after the NCAA to say, hey, you know, there's a lot of people talking about the NCAA on, on the good, bad, and ugly within the NCAA. There's a lot of people who don't care for the NCAA very much. I'm not saying, you know, uh, hey, pay scholarship guys an extra stipend of $2,000 a month because otherwise they're just going to go sell their swag uh, for tattoos and stuff like they did at Ohio State. Now this is a major topic within the NCAA. Scholarship guys selling swag and jerseys and all this other stuff so they can get tattoos. And the players say, oh, well, we have to do it because we just don't make enough money. And now everyone's going, oh, gosh, maybe we should give an extra two grand, you know, stipend every month. You know what the walk-ons are saying? Hey, how about just cover my insurance if I get spaghetti dinner and a little respect? That's all <laughs> I need. That's all I need. That makes sense. Well, now, what what's the process? I mean, you, writ- you wrote the book. You have... Uh, you know, walkonyou.com, but to go after the NCAA and, and the powerful people that you've you've got on your side, like what is the process there? How do you end up doing that? The process is I am waiting for uh, the next, uh, and, and of course my uh, all the information has been sent out to the universities. Uh, I'm waiting for the next policy change. Now, USC, uh, a policy change request. Now, the NCAA just had their annual convention in San Diego last week. And uh, nothing was discussed about uh, helping the walk-on out. <laughs> and, uh, in fact, it's my understanding, certainly from reading Twitter and some of the other uh, articles in Sports Illustrated and stuff online, uh, all saying that most of the athletic directors actually left uh, the conference feeling pretty uh, upset and disgusted that the positive changes that they were looking for are not really being implemented by the people who run the NCAA. So there's a lot of frustration there. Um, for for walk on you to make an impact, 
uh, I cannot set a policy request for a change. It has to be done by a member institution. Well, now all these member institutions are really upset with the NCAA for not doing a bunch of stuff. I need a member institution to step to the plate and say, we want a policy change, and this is the change we want. It will then be submitted to the NCAA, and that's when we will get everybody on board uh, to you know, rally behind that institution uh, who's requesting that policy change, and we will, we will be heard from the rooftops. Uh, I have four production companies that have contacted me to do either a television or a series or a documentary uh, to help get this word out to the masses. Uh, because, again, every time I tell this story or I'm interviewed by someone, people just scratch their head and go, I can't believe this is happening in 2014. Um, so I will have the mass media behind me. And when the NCAA realizes that the mass media is, is coming after them, Hopefully, then, the people who run the NCAA and make the final decisions on those rule changes, which are typically presidents of universities who sit on boards who probably never played sports in their lifetime, unfortunately, uh, who make these decisions, they will um, relent, step back, and realize that the entire country is not in their corner, and they need to make room for change. With the... You're talking about a membership institution you need help with. I mean, a school like USC under sanctions where walk-ons become more important or any school that has sanctions or the, the real need for for walk-ons, are those kind of like the target schools that would want to help the most because they do rely on walk-ons yeah, so much? Absolutely. Selfishly speaking, I would love USC to be the first institution to uh, send in to the NCAA a policy change saying – we believe that walk-ons should be treated better um, the way it currently stands and has stood for five decades is unfair to walk-ons. Now, 25 years ago, I wasn't even allowed in the room uh, to eat with my teammates after practice. Uh, now, of course, me being the person that I am, I didn't necessarily follow that rule, and I slipped through back doors, sit under tables, and I got my training table anyway most of the time. Uh, because I realized that most of the coaches, after practice, they go upstairs and have a coach's meeting, and then they go to training table. Well, I got dressed and showered really fast, and I went to training table right away and ate as fast as I could and got out of there before the coaches came in and saw me. And and um, when I couldn't go very fast, you always had scholarship guys uh, who were making you know doggy bags for the walk-ons waiting around the corner. And I have interviewed guys across the country. This happens at every university all the, the scholarship guys are making to-go boxes and they go outside and they hand it off to, to the walk-ons. So you have your own brothers and sisters, your teammates, who realize this is a ridiculous rule and they take care of them anyway. Right. But I would love USD to be the, the institution that uh, puts this policy uh, change uh, forth to the NCAA and I will be the first one in line uh, rallying the drum and getting America behind it, both uh, media, mass media, uh, television, movies, <laughs> you name it. And USC, I would love to, to see spearhead this change. Um, and hopefully the rest, I mean, uh, if they do that, the, the, rest of the, the rest of the country will follow hook, line, and sinker at all these in, uh, institutions because they all want it done. It's just the NCAA has been dragging their feet and pushing us away, and, and I'm getting tired of, of walk-ons getting pushed aside. 
they don't get a lot of respect as it is, and that's just the nature of the beast being a walk-on. But you don't have to push us aside, step on our throat, and kick dirt on our face as well. Uh, well, I wanted to talk, too, about some of the specific stuff with, with USC. I mean, I think everyone knows about, you know, there's some big walk-ons in the league. Clay Matthews, you know, from USC was a, a, someone you mentioned already. You know, J.J. Watt, if you watched the Pro Bowl yesterday, he was a former walk-on. And, um, you know, last year th- there were some interesting things going on with USC walk-ons. They ended up giving four uh, longtime walk-ons a scholarship uh, for their senior season. Uh, but Abe Markowitz, who was a, a, a former walk-on, became scholarship player, and then for his sixth year became a walk-on again. I mean, he, he ended up, you know, being a, a big factor in the in the bowl game. And I mean, there's there's been a lot of walk-ons on this USC team, at least recently too, that have contributed. Not just recently, but you know, have contributed and had big contributions to the team. Yeah, and you know what's amazing to me. Um, this again, this isn't a USC thing. This is a nationwide coaching thing. Coaches follow high school players for four or five years. They scout them. They watch a thousand hours of film. They, they fly all over the country sitting in their parents' living room, spend thousands and thousands of dollars trying to recruit a kid until he signs on the dotted line and signs those scholarship players. Um, and then that kid who they've been watching Think about it. That that scholarship player, well, he got a scholarship, but he was going against high school players for his competition. But the walk-ons, when they walk on a school, they're not going against high school players. They're going against blue-chip, all-American, the most recruited players in the country. And they still prove themselves. And that's the beauty of being a walk-on and earning a scholarship is, you. yeah, okay, for whatever reason you didn't earn one out of high school, and there's a million reasons for that. Um, you know, your school might be a small school from a small town. You don't get a lot of publicity. You might be a fantastic uh, defensive lineman, uh, but all the schools that you really wanted to go to uh, have already given scholarships to defensive linemen, and they don't have any available for you. I mean, we have to remember that there's over 8 million, 8 million high school athletes playing football. Well, there's only, you know, 104, 120 Division One schools uh, at the 1A level and 124 at the 1AA level. So you're only talking about 244 universities that are now catering to over 8 million um, student-athletes that perhaps want to play football in college. Of course, many of them don't want to play college and whatever. But at the end of the day, you're going to have a lot more prospects per team and just numbers-wise – you don't have enough scholarships to hand out to every uh, student athlete who is deserving of one. So those guys who quitting is not in their DNA, those guys walk on and then they shock the world and they do it against the best talent out there. Uh, yeah, they're, they're, it's practice. Yes, it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but they're playing against all-stars. All these scholarship guys were all-stars and blue-chip, four-star, five-star, five-star guys. And these walk-ons are going toe-to-toe with them. If I'm a coach, that's the player who I can't wait to put on scholarship. Because he didn't prove it against high school athletes a year or two ago. He's proving it right now against all-stars. And that's the guy I want on scholarship. So I I hope also that this book uh, gives coaches a better understanding of, hey, man, when you've got a stud walk-on in your program, you catch lightning in a jug. (laughs) Take care of that guy. (laughs) 
that that's the guy that you know you want all your scholarships. That's the guy with more heart and determination than anybody else. When you start taking care of those guys, that's what Nebraska did. That's what Tom Osborne told me he did. That's what Wisconsin does. Tom Osborne, the architect of the incredible walk-on program, there's a reason over 25, 30 years that he was coaching that Nebraska was one of the top teams in the country. And what he told me was, you've got to take care of your walk-ons. If you take care of your walk-ons and show them that, you know, you dangle a carrot in front of them, and that carrot is a scholarship, and you say, you kick butt, and I'm going to put you on scholarship, that kid is going to bust his tail because there's an actual scholarship within his grasp. And you know what? Those scholarship guys, they don't want to lose their starting spot to a walk-on, so they're going to work harder. And when you've got scholarship guys working harder because the walk-ons are on their heels working harder, and it goes back and forth, back and forth, you've got a recipe for success. And that is exactly what Nebraska has done for decades, and every school in the country should follow that. Keep two or three or four scholarships behind every year. If you have 25 to give out, you don't have to give out all 25. Give out 20, 21, or 22 if you've got three or four or five stud walk-ons who are on the cusp of, you know, shining on Saturday afternoon. Give those guys that incentive. Give them that scholarship. And you know what that's going to do? That's going to tell every other potential walk-on out there, I want to go to that university if I don't get a scholarship because they'll take care of their walk-ons. And we've seen walk-ons not just as far as you know making contributions on the field and coming in there, but they kind of get involved in the recruiting process as well. There's times where uh, you know there's a, a stud, you know the, the the blue chip guy, the four or five star guy, and he's got a buddy who's maybe not good enough to get a scholarship there, but he can come in as a preferred walk-on. They they be kind of you know, become part of the recruiting process as well. But, you know, we've just seen it so much, especially with the USC under these sanctions, that walk-ons are yeah. playing such a much bigger role. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, if I'm uh, a fly on the wall, uh, I would love to be in the office with Steve Sarkeesian right now. Uh, I, I would love to go have a personal meeting with him. He probably already knows this. In fact, I'm positive he knows this. But I would love to have a face-to-face with him and say, Coach Sark? Take care of your walk-ons, and the walk-ons will come to you. It really is that simple. Take care of your walk-ons, and the walk-ons will come to you because, just like you said, the scholarship guys will become recruiters for you. You know, they'll tell their buddy in high school, hey, I know you didn't get a scholarly, but they've got a great walk-on program at USC. USC should utilize these sanctions, this terrible cloud that's been over our head the last couple of years, because of this whole Reggie Bush thing. We should use this as, as, as a uh, kind of a um, uh, catapulting our walk-on program to a new level. We should use it as a secret in disguise, um, a blessing in disguise is what I want to say, and make the, US, make the walk-on program at USC kind of the West Coast Nebraska walk-on program. We should have the best walk-on program in the country. That's what I would tell Coach Sarkeesian. Have the best, you know, our, our, our tuition is 50 grand a year or something ridiculous like that. So you're, you're already, you know, dealing with a much smaller group of people who can afford that, uh, providing they get some grants and stuff. If, I'm, if I got hired by USC to take care of the walk-on program, I would say, all right, let's find out what grants, uh, financial grants are available uh, to these student athletes, 
let's get them as much financial aid, not athletic-related, because that would be against the rule, but just a regular grant. Um, and there's numerous grants. There's the Pell Grant and then uh, so many other grants out there that I don't even you know, know the names of all of them. But there's hundreds of them. Let's try and get these guys as much financial aid as we can. Get them in the school so their financial burden is not so hard. But take care of them. And the guys that shine, those are the guys that are going to get the scholarship. And we should be the Nebraska of the West Coast. We should have the greatest walk-on program in the West Coast. And, you know, I think that would not only help us immediately until our sanctions are over, but when our sanctions are over and we go back up to 85 scholarships, we should still have the greatest walk-on program in the country. And we don't necessarily need to go out and thump, thump the road trying to get walk-ons because all the walk-ons, the great potential walk-ons are going to want to come to us. When we have that huge list to choose from, people knocking on our door, on USC's door, then, you know, you're going to have 85 scholarship players and 10, 20, or 30 fantastic athletes who are walk-ons. That's going to help our program in the future. You, you know, just even without creating that kind of program there, certainly I think that would be important and it'd be a great recruiting tool and help the program, like you said. But just out of necessity because of the sanctions, you saw a guy, Chris Wilson, who came over from uh, – you know, uh, where was he from? Uh, I'm blanking on the school again, but he was a pitcher in, in the ACC, Wake Forest, sorry. He was at Wake Forest as a pitcher, comes in, walks on. He, he practiced last summer as a quarterback. They're like, oh, let's move you to tight end. You know, ends up getting a start in the game. And Nathan Gertler, who was, you know, Matt Khalil's backup, and he's been around the program right. a long time, coming in and playing. I mean, you're seeing these guys, because there was limited scholarship numbers and then a bunch of injuries in those positions, have to come in and, and make a contribution. And it doesn't take, you know, a guy like Chris Wilson was a pitcher in college the year before and ends up starting a game for USC. I mean, it's a pretty crazy ride. You can you can get some of these guys in. So bring in more of those guys in. Who knows what kind of contributions they could make? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, the, the possibilities are endless. You just got to take care of your walk-ons. The coaches need to take care of them the best they can within the framework of the rules. And then I'll take care of everything else. I'll take care of the NCAA rules because in true walk-on fashion, I will never give up. I will keep beating this horse until, you know, I'm 85 years old. Uh, I will keep knocking on the NCAA doors. I'll keep pushing institutions to put out a proposal to change these rules. And I won't stop until it's, until it's done, until all walk-ons are treated equally and segregation has ended within the college ranks. We already know that, you know, you're going to be segregated with regard to tuition. Okay, That's, that should be the only difference between a walk-on and a scholarship guy in any sport, male or female. The difference is the school is paying or the athletic department is paying for your tuition, room and board. The walk-on, you have to pay for that. But that's where it should stop. After that, when you become an athlete, you're an athlete, and all athletes should be treated the same. They should get the same equipment. They should not get the hand-me-downs from 10 or 20 years ago. They should all get access to training table. They should have their insurance covered. Um, if they want to leave, since they're not being, you know, essentially paid uh, to to play, and, and people say, oh, paid to play, whatever. I kind of say, hey, if you're having your tuition paid for, especially at USC, that's $200,000, $250,000 essentially that you're getting paid because you're paying for your tuition. Yeah. Um, 
I, I, I kind of say, hey, you kind of are getting paid. You're getting you're getting a check for fifty grand to, to have all your expenses <laughs> paid. You just may not see the money go in your pocket and out the other pocket because the school takes care of it. But essentially, you're you're getting paid. Um, if the walk-on's not getting any of that money, then he should be able to to feel free to to go to a different university and not feel you know with his hands handcuffed behind his back that he can't do that. Um, and I'm going to keep pushing and I'm not going to give up and it, these rules will change. I hope it happens in my lifetime. Um, <laughs> uh, but like I said, I've already got four different production companies knocking on my door to, to make this a documentary and, or, and, or a movie series uh, or television series or both. So we're going to get the word out to the American public, how the walk-ons are being treated and change will come. I don't know when it will be, but I hope it's within the next couple of years. Of course, my goal is this coming year, 2014, that there's enough pressure on there that by the NCAA annual convention in Washington, D.C. in January of 2015, uh, these rules are overturned. Uh, that'll be a fantastic ending um, to what I'm trying to accomplish. Well, he's Tim Mad Dog Lavin, former USC football player, former walk-on on Twitter, at walkonu, all one word, and he's the author of Walk On You. The shocking truth behind football's unsung underdogs. And you can go to walk-onyou.com for his website. Uh, Tim, thanks so much for coming on. It was really great stuff. And maybe you can tell people uh, where they can where they can pick up the book and read for themselves. Yeah, the book is at walkonyou.com. You could go either walkonyou or walk-onyou. Both of them go to the same website. Okay. Uh, walkonyou.com, you can get the physical book. And if you like to uh, read ebooks, uh, I think Amazon Kindle, that's on Amazon.com. And uh, Barnes & Noble has what's called the Nook. If you have a Nook, you could read the electronic version by going to BarnesandNoble.com and download the book there. So uh, walkonyou.com, physical book, Amazon, and uh, Barnes & Noble for the ebooks. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for coming on the program. I know we've been trying to set this up for a while, but I uh, really appreciate you. And, and I know the USC fans are really interested on with the walk-on rules because of you know the sanctions and everything. So I think it was really insightful for them. And uh, hopefully you keep the, the push going. I know you will towards the NCAA and get them to change these rules. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I really, really appreciate it. Take care. All right. Thanks, Tim. And thanks, everyone else, for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back. We'll do another recruiting podcast this week and I'm back with a regular show on Monday. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. Peristyle Podcast.